Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Nick. Hi, my name is Nick. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Nick. My abstinence date is September 22nd, 2012. Um, I miss this group so much. This used to be my my, uh, OA home group. And uh, it's such a cozy room, and I see a lot of familiar faces, some new faces, and uh, some old friends that I haven't seen in a while. Um, Michael, thank you so much for having me uh, come out tonight. Um, I thought I was going to be late. The rain was terrible, but I made it in time. Um, I I will start with, uh, I'm originally from Michigan. Uh, I had a pretty... Pretty normal childhood. My parents, too, at the time, I didn't think there was much wrong with my family. I can't, couldn't really blame anything on my family. At an early age, there were a few things that uh, started to make me uncomfortable. Uh, when I was, I don't know, maybe kindergarten, first, second grade, I realized I was among the shortest kids in my class. Um, and then when I got to be 10 or 11, puberty started getting closer. Uh, I realized that I thought I might be gay. And then at the same time, I started putting on weight. Um, and out of those three things, the one that really bothered me was the weight. Because the other two, I didn't think I had any control over. But the weight, I was just, you know, kids could be brutal. I was thinking the other day, um, I was thinking this because I ran into somebody that used to just tease me mercilessly in, uh, in junior high school and uh, elementary school. And uh, I won't bring his name into it, but uh, I saw this guy uh, not too long ago. And he had this cruel, cruel nickname. I can't even say it because it's kind of vulgar on the podcast here. But he had a very cruel nickname that he loved to shout out in high school. And I just felt like this big when he would do that. Um, and when I saw him, the years were not kind. It was, it was, I just thought karma. Yes. <laughs> he, he, needs, he needs this program now. So. <laughs> we're not really supposed to say that. But anyway, you know... Um, so my weight was really like my main uh, source of just despising myself when I was younger. You know, I really had a, I really had a horrible self-image because of my weight. I sort of had this equivalence formula in my head, and I think to some extent today it still is there, and it works like this. You're fat, you're miserable. You're overweight, you're worthless, you know, and... Getting that deep, getting that deep programmed out of my head has been a process, and it's not over. You know, I still struggle with that sometimes. Um, you know, I wish I could say, "Hey, I'm totally above that now," and that's no, that's not where I'm at. You know, I think I'm most of the way through that, but that's a struggle. It really is. Um, I have to recognize that because that was such a defining thing in my life. It defines so much of the stuff that I did. But uh, anyway, um, so. I, I guess I didn't realize that I was using food as a drug early in my life. Um, but what I started to do with food, it should have been a warning sign to me a long time ago. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I started to sort of withdraw from my family because I I wasn't a real social kid. And my, my, my brothers were both really popular and they, they, knew how to, they knew how to mix it up with the other kids. And 
You know, I had a couple of friends, but I wasn't one of those people that just, uh, I wasn't like the class president or anything like that. My brother was. Uh, so I just didn't know how to do that stuff. Um, so I kind of withdrew, and I remember one ritual, uh, like I said, it should have been a warning sign really early on, is I used to take the meals my mom would serve, grab my plate, and go up to my room and close the door. And I would eat up in my room, you know, while my family's eating downstairs. I mean, that should have been a warning sign pretty early. But it was a ritualistic thing for me. Um, and it, this continued until I, uh, you know, until, um, until my abstinence. Uh, I used to like to just get away from my family. I was very, very angry about being overweight, very, very angry about being gay. Uh, those things that made me a very angry person. Um, I would say probably the number one target of my anger, and this was like, uh, name number one on my on my four step was God, because who could I blame for my weight? You know, I thought it was my metabolism, and you know, how dare you? You know, and I was so angry with God. You know, and uh, I, you know, I ate a lot. My top weight was, I mean, I wasn't real real heavy. My top weight was probably one ninety eight, something like that. I don't think I hit the two hundred number. I don't think so. I, I may have without my own knowledge. Um, but, uh, when I got towards that number and then I got to college, I, I don't know how it occurred to me, but sort of as a, a gesture of defiance to God and me being so angry about being so heavy all the time, I started throwing up. And, uh, and I, the way I justified it is I'm like, well, the Romans did this all the time. You know, <laughs> they had, I mean, they had room, not rooms, they had these huge facilities dedicated to just that. They had troughs. I mean, they, and God, thinking about that today is unbelievable. But, but I was thinking, well, this was normal in other societies. So this is just, it's just a matter of conditioning as to why, you know, we don't do it. You know, sort of the equivalence of, you know, why don't, why, why, why do women shave their legs? It's because society has, you know, told them that that's what they should do. So this should be okay. I just live in the wrong society. And it was, I had a whole bunch of different ways of justifying it. But to me, um, it was two things. It was the way I kind of like to characterize this, it was me giving the middle finger to God. Just saying, how dare you make my metabolism like this when it seems like everybody else that I knew, you know, and this is not true, but everybody else that I knew had a perfect body image and they were just fine. And that was, that was not true. Um, so it was an act of defiance. It was a very angry act on my part. Um, but, you know what? It was effective. You know, I came back from college after a year or two and I went from, you know, close to 200. I didn't bring pictures. Um, I have a picture of the day I left for college, and I think I was probably about 195 then. And I came back after my first year of college, and I was about 140. So I lost 50 pounds in a year. And I remember this girl um, who I, ran, I also ran into recently. Uh, and she saw me when I came back to town. And she gave me this hug, and she goes, oh, my God. And she was just blown away because I just looked so much different than I did when I left. And uh, she made a bunch of... Uh, she made some very, very complimentary remarks, and I just thought, that's it. This is the way I'm going. I can never be heavy again, because this is what happens when you get thin. You know, people love you. People say things like this. You know, it was a really powerful, it was the wrong lesson to learn. But for me, it's kind of solidified that. You know, around the same time, maybe uh, maybe a few years earlier, I'm also uh, an alcoholic, so I, I have to mention that up here, because um, that's actually kind of how I got introduced to this, this program from this uh, someone else in the other program. Um, I first went to uh, alcohol with all this when I was probably about 17. 
and I started drinking very, very heavily. And, you know, the food wasn't something I really ever even thought about. Uh, I was drinking, then I got into college. Uh, the, the time when I was both binging and purging and drinking heavily, that was only about a two-year period where I was engaging in both of those at the same time. But drinking was killing me uh, a lot faster. You know, I was getting DUIs. I had a, I had a, uh, I got pulled over once with a, a blood alcohol content of almost 0.4. I mean, I was literally almost killing. It was 0.385. I was literally almost killing myself. Um, so that one had to stop right away. Um, and as a result, I think maybe what happened for me is the way I was using food. I sort of played that down in my head. I'm like, well, this isn't killing me. I mean, I'm getting heavier. Or you know, if I'm doing the bulimic thing, I mean, what's that going to hurt? It's like, you know, I never heard anybody, anybody dying from this, which is not true, but I hadn't heard of it, so I, I was always justifying this kind of stuff in my head. Um, another thing that I used to do is I would think, I'm not hurting anybody else with this behavior. And I can laugh at myself now because, you know, even I'm, I've, only been, I've only been absent about three and a half years, uh, well, three, and a couple, three, and a, three years and a couple months. And I can think back to the things that I used to do to my roommates because I had a ritual. I mean, I would, on the way home, I would go and get, you know, something, something just not healthy. You know, something from McDonald's or something from some Indian restaurant, like, what's that, that really good stuff they serve in Britain all the time? That, oh, jeez, I can't remember the name, but uh, anyway, it's really good Indian stuff. Um, I'd get that. I'd make sure I'd have to have a dessert with it, too, you know, and if it wasn't going to be enough, maybe I'd get two, and I'd see if... It's amazing how much I could eat because I knew that I didn't have to be accountable for it. You know, I could get rid of it later, so eat whatever you want. And I'd have this ritual where I would get all of this food, and I'd be so excited, like going home, you know, put some TV on, I'll watch a movie or something, I'll entertain myself, and I'll have this huge feast, and then I'll just get rid of it, no consequences, no problem, you know. And that was a ritual for me that gave me this temporary high, um, very temporary high. And I did it every single day, multiple times a day. Um, the problem came was if I would get home with this feast and my roommate was home when I didn't expect him to be home, and I would get angry. I would get really passive-aggressive. I'd be like, aren't, aren't you supposed to be in school? And he'd be like, whoa, you know, what did I do? You know, and, my, and this happened to several roommates. They had no idea where I was coming from. I'd be really upset, and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like bring my food up into my room, which is really weird for me to do because I don't eat, well, Except for when I was in high school, I don't eat in my room anymore, you know. Um, but I would have, I would feel violated. I would feel like this is my space, and you're in it, and you're screwing up my addiction. In much the same way I would do with alcohol when I thought that somebody was interfering with that. Um, so for me, it was a really ritual, ritualistic thing that I used to do. Eating was, uh, uh, it would, it would temporarily make me feel okay. Um, it's amazing to me that I was almost 20 years sober. In, the, in another fellowship, when uh, big guess on which one, um, I was almost 20 years sober before. You know, I had a sponsor who happened to be also in this program, and he spoke very openly about it. Um, and there was, so he kind of planted the seed in the back of my head. I'm like, you know, I'm 20 years sober, and I'm throwing up every day. I'm like, and you know, I'd go periods sometimes for maybe a month. I think the maximum was like two or three months where I wouldn't do it. But then I go through periods where it would be all the time. It was just like it would depend on where my weight was, you know. Um, it was uh, if I didn't feel like exercising, that's what I plugged in. Um, I don't do that today. 
But this guy, he he mentioned things about you know him going to OA, and he'd mentioned the fellowship, and I and I thought, my God, this guy is my sponsor in AA. He has no idea that I'm doing this every day, and you know this has got to be a God thing. You know there has to be a message here for me that you know there's a problem going on, um, and so eventually. You know, and I was so ashamed because I'd heard of I'd heard of women throwing up before. I'd never heard of men throwing up before, and I thought I can't tell anybody this because nobody can relate to it. And still, I I don't feel alone anymore. But it's still pretty rare that I hear a male bulimic in OA. I don't hear that very much. And the, my home group is now the kitchen sink uh, Saturday morning, and we probably have as many men as we do women. And I'm the only one that identifies that way. So still, sometimes it feels a little like, come on, <laughs> there's got to be some other people out there. But uh, anyway, hopefully it'll help somebody that uh, is having the same issue. Uh, but uh, I felt a lot of shame around that. It's funny, I, I had a discussion with my roommate today because I told him, I said, you know, I, I have to go speak at this other fellowship. And uh, he said, uh, what did he say? He said, why are you, why are you in that program? You know, and... Uh, um, because he, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's seen pictures of me when I was younger, and I, I was bigger, but not, like, real big. And he says, why are you in that program? And I had to, and I told him the truth. You know, I know him really well. I trust him. And I told him the truth, and I said, this is what I was doing. And he said, oh, okay. And, uh, but anyway, um, so I finally told my sponsor in the other program, who is now my sponsor in this program, which is great, because I can't, like, play sponsors against each other. I have the same one. So... You know, the other day we're working steps, and it's nice because we can actually mix in things that have to do with alcoholism and things that are more specific to my food addiction. I think it's kind of all the same thing, personally, um, running away from the same thing with different substances to me. Um, but I can't really hide behind one sponsor and then the other sponsor and then pick what I want to do based on what they say. And that really protects me because I love to manipulate. I love to find somebody who will sign off on my stuff and do it that way. Um, so I came in, like I said, September 22nd of, uh, 2012 and my huge fear was, let me tell you why I came in. There. Um, in addition to hearing him talking about that, there were a few times where, you know, I would binge and purge and I would feel as if I broke something. I mean, for anybody that's been a bulimic in the room, I felt like, oh crap, I think I might've actually done something internally. And I would have this fear that, oh, sorry, that was so quiet, I'm sure the podcast did not hear that. Um, but I would feel like something happened, like I had, I had gone too far this time, you know. And it would really scare me. And I remember that last, it must have been the last week or the last day or something like that before I talked to Michael and I finally came to this program where I felt like that had happened again. And I thought... And I'd, and I'd heard to myself, someone someone mentioned something like a ruptured esophagus or something like that, or there was this dramatic, there was this dramatic person in my other program who was also a member of this program, that any time bulimia was mentioned, she would say, oh my God, that's going to be a ruptured esophagus. And I thought she was just being so overly dramatic, and I just like kind of dismissed it, because she would always say that, and I'm like, I've never even heard of that, you know. But anyway, I'm sure it's real. But anyway, I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, you're going to, something like that's going to happen, because you're really punishing your body, you know. These things keep becoming more and more violent. Um, and so finally I gave up, and I just said, I need help, Michael. I said, I, I need help. I, I don't 
I've been doing this for a long time, um, and I was I was really really ashamed. I, I didn't when I came to this program. Um, I mean, you, you guys, this was my first meeting when I came here, and I didn't want to be here. I thought this was so stupid. I was like, you know, uh, what was the the end of the um, the end of the prayer made me want to cringe and hide and run, and, and you're worth it. I just wanted to slap somebody. I was, like, I was just like, it's funny because I, I told my, my, once again, my current roommate, I told him that one time, and I said, and then they say, and you're worth it. And he goes, that's great. I'm like, <laughs> but I wanted it. I mean, I was, I thought this was so dumb. I'm like, why can't I get this from the other program? You know, why do I have to be here? You know, like, you know, my sponsor likes to use the phrase transferring credits, you know. I want my credits to transfer. You know, I have all this experience, and it doesn't. And for me, it's been a process of, you know, the first year. I mean, I stayed abstinent. And, by the way, my definition of abstinence is really, really simple. I don't throw up. That's it. Now, there are foods that I do not eat. But I don't have a red list because, for me, have you ever seen Ren and Stimpy when they have the end of the world button? Okay. If you put something on my end red list, I'm going to eat it. So I don't have anything like that. But there are some foods that I have not had since my abstinence began. If I write it down, I'll eat it. Yeah, I just, just that's just the way I am. Um, but um, I eat really healthy. Um, I just there, there are certain foods that I ver- that I know are going to. And I I don't think you're supposed to mention specific foods. Somebody told me that once when I came to this meeting before. Is that right? I, oh, all right. Okay, cool. Honey, mustard, Snyder's, those pretzel things. The devil. Absolutely the devil. I can eat those because it's salt and it's carbs and it's got a little sweetness to it because of the honey. And it's just, oh, God. And, and those will send me to the grave, like, really, really fast. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that that's... <laughs> that's uh, there are certain foods that I never eat anymore because I know exactly where they take my mind. You know, I'm lucky that I wasn't like a huge sweets person because um, that, that I, I know that, that, I mean, obviously I hear a lot in these rooms. Um, that was never really my thing. I liked carbs a lot. Um, but, and I live with an Italian who cooks all the time, so it's like, you know, but anyway, we work out a lot. We're dealing with it. Um, but, uh, you know, when I came to the program, one of my big fears um, was... You know, now that I'm going to stop this behavior, I'm not going to be, you know, throwing up anymore. You know, I was terrified, you know, that I was going to weigh a lot more. You know, come a year or two, that weight is just going to start packing itself on. And I didn't think about, you know, there's actually a solution. You were, it's kind of the way that I used to use alcohol to combat my alcoholism. Is I was using bulimia to combat, you know, my overeating or Overism or whatever you want to call it, okay? That's what I was doing. There are other ways to deal with it, and this is like a healthy way. You know, today, working a program with a sponsor, working with other people in this program, um, uh, actually eating healthy, you know, being accountable for what I eat, that's huge. Oh, that's another part of my absence. I, I send my sponsor everything that I eat. You know, that's really important to me. Um, I call them every day, but that's part of the other programs. So I don't really get to count that. Um, but uh, uh, um, in the three years that I've been in here, there's been the biggest transformation probably was in the first year. I was so concerned about the, the foods that I was eating and, you know, uh, watching out for those those moments where I think, oh, my God, I think I ate too much. I, and then that, that urge that I want to, you know, I know how to take care of this. I can take care of this right now. 
and I'd have those thoughts like, I just have to reset my time. It would only be a few months. I mean, dumb, just, just thoughts like, you know, thoughts that I had when I quit smoking, thoughts that I had when I quit drinking. You know, it's okay. It's only been a little while. You know, I can start again. Forgetting how hard it is to start again with this kind of thing, you know. Um, but, um, so the biggest transformation in me so far in this program, the, a lot more than I've been noticing recently, is I, God is involved a lot more in what I eat, you know. And, I, you know, I, I, I just didn't get it. I heard that a lot when a lot of folks would be speaking in the rooms before. And all I would hear was the diets, the, their food plans, their, their definition of their abstinence. And, this, and so I was so focused on that. And I wasn't focused on, you know, putting God at the table with me when I'm eating, you know. You know, asking, my sponsor has a wonderful prayer that I wish I could say, I say all the time, and I, it's not as frequently as I should, but, uh, you know, please let it be enough, you know, when I sit down to eat. Thank you for this food. Please let it be enough. Real simple. Um, but to me, that's, that's tangibly putting God at the dinner table with me. Um, I don't, uh, I am so far from, God, I still have so far to go when it comes to that. Thank you. Um. I still have so far to go when it comes to that. You know, there are... We, well, I just sat down with Michael the other day, and now that I'm in a place where I'm not overeating anymore, and I'm not exercising bulimia anymore, and I'm not drinking anymore, and I'm not doing anything from that standpoint, to, to deal with alcoholism and the, the urge that I have to overeat, there are ways that I've been acting out a lot, a lot of other ways I've been acting out. You know, sometimes it's sexually. Sometimes it's just anger just coming out. Sometimes it's on the road. You know, and I don't like the guy that I become when I'm doing that. Um, and this is really hard because, you know, at least for me, you know, as an overeater uh, in some of these other programs, I want to turn to those substances because I know they work, at least temporarily. I really do. I mean, I know they work. And it's really hard to sit down with, like yesterday I was at Starbucks with my sponsor for a few hours, to sit down and go through this stuff and to say, okay, this is, this is, this is what I did. We did another uh, four-step yesterday on, on some stuff over the past year. And I did not want to tell him half the stuff on there because I'm sober 23 years and I have, you know, a few years in OA now and I'm like, oh my God, is this still the guy that I am? Yeah, it is. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's, uh, I still make some mistakes, sometimes some pretty big ones. Um, but for me, the hope comes that, you know, my program is starting to take on a lot more of a God angle in OA. It, in AA, it always pretty much has been, but in OA, I always thought it was more of a diet thing. Um, and I'm learning that that's really not the way it goes. Um, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna finish with that and uh, give us give us some time. So thank you so much for having me on, Michael. And I guess we'll open it for questions. Michael, thanks for coming out. Mm-hmm. You talked sure. a little bit about how you deal with anger and resentment. That you talked about tonight. Okay. Uh, so the question is, how do I deal with anger and resentment uh, that I was speaking about tonight? Um, well, for me, I do a daily 10-step with my sponsor. Um, I call him, and part of, part of the inventory that I do with my sponsor has to do with resentments and fears. And it's funny, because when we did that fifth step yesterday, basically that was an account of all the things that I didn't tell him throughout the course of the year that I should have been telling him every day. You know, it was, uh, I had this one thing on the road where I got upset with somebody, and I, I guess I just was embarrassed to tell him, so I didn't. Um, 
But generally speaking, those resentments, they do... When I talk to him about it, and he relates his own experience, and he doesn't make me feel like I'm this broken, unfixable person, like he relates and, you know, we have the same thing going on, um, it really dissipates. Um, that's the first part of it, of dealing with the anger. You know, for me, I, I've had anger to the point where it gets to rage, where, you know, you can't shut me down, where I am determined to be in this state of, you know, extreme anger. Um, the good news about that, and I talked to him about this the other day, is that doesn't happen much anymore. You know, it used to be an almost, at least every week, occurrence. And it was it was a scary, place, a scary place for me to be. Now I see myself maybe once a year where I'll get there. And I, I feel like, I feel like, oh my God, I thought that guy was gone. Um, so the progress is being made. Um, uh, I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was having panic attacks because I was getting so angry. Well, no, this is about three years ago. And uh, my body was telling me, you need to stop it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of prayer to God, asking God to help me with this stuff. Um, the question is, do I have a morning routine for helping me get up when I don't want to show up? Um, I'll begin by saying I am not a morning person. You know, I don't wake up at 5.30 and meditate and, you know, thank the sun for being there for me and, and whistle my way into the car. No, not at all. I get up 20 minutes before I have to be in the car. I take the quickest shower possible. I get dressed and I, and I go to work. So I can probably do a little better in the mornings. My evenings, I do my 10 stuff and stuff. Um, so do I have, but the thing is, is, I do get going every morning. You know, I don't call it in. You know, I, I don't, I don't say, you know, what, I just don't want to do today and then call in sick. I don't do that. You know, I do get going every day. Um, but I have to be honest, you know, I don't really have a routine except for the fact that I do get up, you know, I brush my teeth, I, you know, uh, brush my teeth, mouthwash, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, floss, I take a shower, you know, that's my morning routine to get me going, but do I have a spiritual morning routine? Oh, no, and I, well, I do ask God for help in the morning, I do get to my knees and I ask for help, but that's, I mean, that's, I do that every morning. The, the my experience and the process of how I made amends, well, in this, in Overeaters Anonymous, you know, I have not worked an official nine step with my sponsor. You know, most of my amends, um, but I have gone through all of my nine step amends in the other program. So it gets kind of mixed up sometimes, you know. But you bring up a good point because I mentioned when I talked that there were roommates that I hurt very much with my behavior, the pile I was doing. And I haven't sat down with Michael to say, hey, how do, what do I do about this, you know. This was somebody that I hurt. And we're still friends, but somebody that I hurt. So that's, that's a really good question. But once again, I have to be honest. You know, I haven't sat down with Michael and gone through that yet. Um, and I could talk about it in the other program, but I'm not sure that that would be appropriate for this, this forum. Yes? A great question. Um, the question was, when I stopped purging, did I, change it? did I notice a change in my body, and how long did it take to level out? Well, I think I knew from my experience through the years, that when I stop doing that, I have to make up for it by eating right and exercising. I just have to. I mean, it's, it's what I should be doing anyway, but I have to do that. So I, I think I was so afraid of gaining weight that I made sure that I did what I was supposed to do. And I came in about eight pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and I, I, I've lost up to about 15 pounds since I came into the program. Um, I say the program is there something I put I actually put the the in front of it I've always wanted to say that from the podium I don't know why they take the the away they do but it's, it's, whatever. it's like when you're in Britain they say I'm going to hospital and it was what happened to the uh sorry it's completely <laughs> but um, I'm sorry I, 
got distracted by that. Um, thank you so much for your share. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience sponsoring people in LA and how it's been different from any other programs? Hey, my, what is my experience sponsoring people in LA and how is it different from other programs? Um, I think in, 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 the, in the other programs, um, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that don't stick around. And I guess my experience in OA is it's, I, I see a lot of the same thing. Um, I've sponsored about three people in this program. I don't have anybody currently. And when I, you know, what I do with my sponsors, I call them every day. I check in my food every day. And that's a really, I've never done that before, and that was a hard thing for me to start doing. Um, and when I have people do that with me in this program, um, my experience has been that that happens for a while, and it trails off pretty quickly. Um, I haven't had somebody stick around more than about a month and a half um, and stick with OA. Um, so my experience hasn't been, hasn't been real, uh, I haven't seen people stick around. Um, but I've seen people stick around, like in the program in general, but um, I haven't been around long enough to, to have somebody that I've been working with long enough. Okay, thanks. Yeah.